So Lady Macbeth is concerned that their relationship is suffering and that, you know, funny she's... That. <laughs> funny that. Funny, funny how that. murder can come between a man and a wife. <laughs> I'm Nora. And I'm James. And we're your hosts for Not, Not Another, Another Shakespeare, Shakespeare Podcast. Podcast. The podcast that takes neither itself nor Shakespeare very seriously. On the podcast, I tell James about a Shakespeare play and he gives his reactions. That is fact. Let's just establish some facts. Yes, let's just establish some facts here. Yeah. So today we are tackling um, one of my favorite plays and one of James's least favorite plays. I don't know if it's one of my least favorite plays i think it's just one of those plays that is so ubiquitous that it, you know it's kind of like oh we're, we're doing this again are we mm. excellent use of ubiquitous thank you i've been i've been learning in my spare time <laughs> um so that, today that book we're... the dictionary is one of my favorites <laughs> it's true i come i come home sometimes and james is just sitting there with a dictionary in bed with the dictionary and you're mm-hmm. like oh no Cheating on me with a dictionary. Again. I thought we I thought we dealt with this in therapy after the encyclopedia incident. I won't tell you about Thesaurus then. Let's talk about Macbeth. <laughs> so I actually like it as a joke. Okay, I just didn't okay. know how to respond. You left okay, me speechless. Okay. You left me speechless. I left you speechless. So today we're we're covering a play that I really love, but unfortunately, uh, it seems it's very easy to mess it up in performance because poor James has been taken to see productions of this play multiple times. And if you're a regular listener, you already know what I'm talking about because we mention it, I think, in every episode. We're talking about Macbeth. The Scottish play. Yes, the Scottish play, a.k.a. Mackers, a.k.a. Macbee. A.k.a. Bethsby. Bethsby. Mackie Bees. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of different ways to name this play because there's a superstition about it being bad luck to say the name of the Scottish king in a theatre. There's a Blackadder episode, isn't there? I mean, there Maybe. might be. I don't. It's, it's a well-known thing among theatre professionals. There um, is. There is a Black Adder episode. Remember, in you have seen it in the third series, the one with the, the Prince, Prince Regent, Regent series. And there's those actors. Yes. And you remember that someone, I don't know if it's specifically meant, it's referring to Macbeth, but there is a play that they're t- that's being talked told about and they say you can't mention the name of it and then Black Adder keeps oh. saying the name of it and they have to keep doing their little ritual. Their little dance. I, um, I've had many versions of the ritual taught to me in my theatrical life. Um, the first time was in middle school. Um, my middle, early. my middle school theater teacher, Kate Alina, shout out, one of the best women on the planet, and she, uh, one of the best people on the planet, full stop. And she takes this very, very seriously. So she taught us an elaborate ritual and made us like leave the building and turn around three times and wow. spit. I mean, Kate's a, an amazing, a brilliant, brilliant teacher, but she does take her her Macbeth in a theater very seriously. And there might be some merit to it because I was in a, a production of Macbeth as a high school student and the person playing Macbeth um, tripped in the parking lot and cut himself on his wristwatch coming into rehearsal one day. I broke a toe during rehearsals and, and had to be on crutches for a couple weeks of rehearsal. Um, there were some like random injuries oh. in that cast. Were you performing on the, the thir- Friday the 13th as well by any chance? I don't think so. I don't. What do you reckon they do if they have a performance of Macbeth scheduled on a Friday the 13th? You probably would struggle to get actors to do that. They'd just be like, no. A lot of a lot of actors would be like, no. The theater is a very superstitious place, generally. We have a lot of superstitions. Mm. You leave a ghost light on in the theater because there's got to be a light on all the time because all theaters have ghosts. So It's true. You know. And those ghosts could be, you know, shouting Macbeth, cursing the play without you even realizing... <laughs> That's probably what's happening. That's what's happening, especially on Friday the 13th. It's it's interesting, though, because a lot of theater superstitions have, like, genuinely important things that they're achieving. So you don't whistle in a theater because lots of sailors used to work behind the scenes and they would whistle cues to each other to pull the, the sets in and out and the to, to work the fly system. 
that would be sort of whistled cues. So if you're randomly whistling around, someone might miss their cue. It's bad luck to whistle mm-hmm. in a theater. You always leave a light on on the stage, supposedly for ghosts, but also because if somebody came into the theater in the dark, they could fall off the stage or trip over equipment or something would be very dangerous. So there are, you know, there's there's legitimate stuff behind a lot of it. The, the Macbeth thing, I don't really know where it comes from. There are ghosts in the play. There are witches in the play. It's a sort of superstitious, spooky play. It's a spooky play. Is it the spookiest Shakespeare play? I don't know if it's the spookiest Shakespeare play. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I don't think it's the spookiest early modern play. I think probably Duchess of Malfi is spookier. I would say um, there there are lots of like vengeful ghosts in a lot of the revenge tragedies who are scarier. That that does tend to be a thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, revenging ghosts. There are, I don't know, we could argue that Banquo is a vengeful ghost in this, I guess. We'll get there. He's pretty vengeful, isn't he? He's, I mean, well, that's the point he turns up and he's, he's at the feast. He's like, you know what? This guy's a dick. I'm going to make him shit his pants. Um, and I'll do that by just randomly appearing so he can freak the fuck out. That's it. I don't think that he like enacts any vengeance. He doesn't specifically ask for revenge, but... He does kind of show up and do a spook. He does a spook. He does a spook. He does a spook. Banquo does a spook. That's the alternate title of the um, the banquet scene in Macbeth. So should we dive in to the plot of Macbeth? Let us dive into the depths of the Scottish play. Mm. So we open with the immortal stage direction, thunder and lightning, enter three witches. Classic. Very classic. We start off with some witches. Um, got to get those witches on. Got to get the witches gotta on. Got to set the scene. They you do set the scene. let people know what is going down. We're in a spooky play. There's going to be some spooking. You yep. just need to be aware of this. And I think it's it's probably important to say that this is a play that was written in, in the reign of King James I. So it's not an Elizabethan play. It's a Jacobean play. Yeah. And James I was very obsessed with witches. He wrote a book. He did. Demonology. That's right. Yeah, see, there's your 0.5 of a history degree coming in handy. 0.5 of a history degree finally coming to use. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Call your lecturers. Tell them. I'll tell them. I'll say, yeah, took about 10 years, but got putting it to work now. But here we are. So, yeah, so King King James is obsessed with witches, really into witchcraft and, and... um, that sort of thing. Um, so it sort of makes sense that we have a witchy play. Interestingly, it's also a play that kind of... Uh, well, I don't think this is that interesting, actually, but it's a, it's a play that... Good start. It's not that surprising, I guess. It's interesting, but it's not that surprising that uh, this is a play written by the resident playwright of The King's Men, so it's Shakespeare's theatre company that he works for that is sponsored by the actual King of England, King James. And as a play, it kind of... Uh, supports James's claim to the throne of England, of Scotland, and I guess secondarily of England. So it's like a kind of sponsored content. It is. It's a bit like a really long product placement for the reign of King James. Yeah, sponsored by King James. Fun fact for the year 2021, King James I's coronation in England was delayed by a whole year due to plague. Mm. Yep, couldn't have a parade in 1603. Too much plague. Too much plaguing. So they did it in 1604. Mm. Hashtag too much plaguing going on. Hashtag too much plague. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we live in similar times. We do. We do. Although I really doubt that any of our leaders would delay their own coronation. For no, it. that would be allowed. That would be an exemption. Alas. Okay, so the the opening scene, thunder and lightning, enter the three witches, and really the only important thing they say here is that they're planning to meet with Macbeth. And it's a very short scene, it's only ten lines long, and they leave. Oh, it's just to establish a sense of foreboding. Yes, to give us a kind of atmosphere. And then we get to meet King Duncan, who is the king at the start of the play, and his sons Malcolm and Donalbane, and various other sort of Scottish thanes, the lords. The kind of nobility of the play, and we get a vein over- of Cordor. Yes, not yet. No, I'm, this is my knowledge. <laughs> I'm just going to be throwing words out that I remember from you know studying this as a child. This and is and be seeing it inappropriate moments. Seeing it a number of times. In the I of Newt. They, yes, I of Newt. That's in here. But not not where we are. No. <laughs> 
Thane of Quador, almost, not yet. <laughs> Hang on to that. Well, you said Thane. I did say Thane. Well, there was a there's a there was a, a fair chance of guess guessing the correct Thane. There, there's a number of Thanes in the play. Mm. Guess the Thane. Are we gonna have like a game show a sound game effect? Show. Yeah, guess the Thane. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So there, at, at the start of the play, there's this war happening um, between Scotland and Norway. That's quite right. There's always there's always a lot of Norway happening, and the there's some really like lovely language from this bleeding captain who arrives at the. At the start. He just arrives bleeding. He does. He yes. Um, How does he get there if he's already bleeding? He's just sort of stumbling well, he's, on. He's coming to report to the king what, right. what's been from, happening from in the field of battle. Yes, and so he he arrives. And he uh, kind of gives this report, um, and there's there's a traitor in the in the Scottish army who's been kind of helping the other side, and the uh, yeah, it's it's not good. So he gives this kind of report that um, things are not going very well, um, and his his gashes cry for help is the line. So he eventually gets some medical attention after delivering this really quite long speech where he's just standing there bleeding and, and reporting. But the, the kind of key piece of this is that Macbeth and Banquo are captains in the army and, and they're kind of holding their own against the enemy. And then the Thane of Ross arrives, not Cawdor, Ross, good old Ross. And he has come from Fife, where uh, Norwegian banners flout the sky and fan our people cold, as he says. But ultimately, the Scots were victorious in this battle that Ross is reporting. Sponsored by King James. Yes. And now we get to, James, your favorite Thane. Cawdor. Thane of Cawdor, who is a, a dirty traitor. Yep. Thane of Cawdor um, has, not, has not been very helpful in this war. He uh, went to the other side, and the king at the end of the scene says, you know, no more that Thane of Cawdor shall deceive our bosom interest. Go pronounce his present death and with his former title, greet Macbeth. And what is their bosom interest? <laughs> what, what Serious is, question. Okay. Um, it's interest close to his heart. So things that would, would lie in his bosom, in his breast. Okay. You're really restraining yourself from making an inappropriate joke right now, aren't you? No, I, I'm, I'm just thinking... What that would be. So if you're if you're the king of Scotland, your kind of closest interests, your your the things that you care about, basically. So the Thane of Cawdor has deceived the king's bosom interest. He's he's been a traitor. He's gone against the kind of um He's the, gone against his bosom. He's gone against his bosom. Okay. Yes. He's been rude, I think is is the technical phrase. Okay. Yeah. He's been rude. So the king decides that he's going to die and Macbeth is going to be the new Thane of Cawdor. But importantly, Macbeth doesn't know this yet because he's still fighting a battle off somewhere else. Then the witches come back. Good old witches. Thunder. No lightning this time, just the thunder. Enter the three witches and they uh, meet with Macbeth and Banquo. They find them upon the heath. Um, and... I, I'm really, uh, I'm interested in this kind of first encounter between Banquo and Macbeth and the witches because it's very, I think it exemplifies to me something that I find really interesting in this play that I talked to with my students about earlier, this term about this, this balance in the play of psychology and spectacle, right? I think like it's a very interesting play for thinking about how we get a lot of the kind of interiority of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. We get a lot of like soliloquies and monologues and and not even just from them. We get them from other characters as well. We get Banquo at one point. We get um, Lennox, who's another Thane at one point, giving these kinds of um, reflective, quite introspective speeches. But at the same time, it's a very spectacular play. It's a play that really lends itself to thunder and lightning and magic and ghosts. And, you know, it's got all that in it as well. So we see that in the performance tradition. Productions tend to go one way or the other. They either go super psychological or they go super spectacular. So here Which is better? <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, you you've seen four Macbeths, you tell me. Spectacle. Is is psychology represented by taking a, a sip of fake whiskey between every single line that's of your how speech? You, that's how you represent internal struggle mm -hmm. on uh 
you know, on the stage or, or even in movies, you know, just get people to just drink or pretend to drink a load of whiskey um, or cigarettes or, or some sort of vice mm. just to show, oh, they must be in such internal struggle they're if they're so resorting to alcohol and, and cigarettes. Mm. They're so tortured. They're so tortured. They can't even get through a whole sentence without taking a sip. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. that's what you do in real life, isn't it? You talk to someone, you're having a shit day, and you... You have a drink... <laughs> to show... Just how tortured you really are. James is referring to a... Truly, I think, the worst production of any Shakespeare play I've ever seen. It's probably the worst one I've seen. It's It's down there for me. It's a... And I don't like to, you know, shit on, you know, smaller kind of local, I guess, performances. But this one was pretty bad. This was, what was bad about it was that it it broke one of really the only like cardinal rules that I actually believe in for performing Shakespeare. There's a lot of people who will tell you that there's like a formula for acting Shakespeare and there are like specific things that you should always, always do. I don't really buy into that completely, but there are a couple of things that I really think are important. And one of them is that you've got to get through the the kind of energy of the line, right? The energy of the thought that you're expressing. And this particular production really, really reveled in long contemplative pauses. It was the pausiest production of anything I think I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, okay, Macbeth is one of Shakespeare's shortest plays. It's definitely his shortest tragedy. If you just read it start to finish with your friends out loud and you didn't know it very well, it would probably take you about two and a half hours to get through. This was a four and a half hour production of Macbeth. Like, it's not even Hamlet, which would take you about four and a half hours if you read kind of the, the longest version of it straight through without stopping. Mm. Cough, Kenneth Branagh. We'll get to you in another episode. So Macbeth should not, should never, ever, ever be four and a half hours long. I, I would venture to say it should never go above three hours, ever. No. this I mean, this felt probably longer than four and a half hours, I would have said. And it's certainly the, you know, the, the Macbeth was... Very drawn out and, uh, you know, the uh, drinking of pretend whiskey was, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely involved. Which is why we're drinking whiskey right now, actually. That's in, right. in honour of the, probably the worst Macbeth we've seen. We're drinking Irish whiskey, so we're drinking take that, Irish Macbeth. Whiskey. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, it was, the, the, it was self-indulgent. The word masturbatory comes to mind. Yeah. It I mean, was, he could have done that to show how, you know, his internal struggle. That, that would have that been more have, entertaining. It probably would have been, yeah. Yeah. It, it, was, it was rough. It was not a good performance at all. <laughs> um, there were, I think there was, a, you know, I have a vague memory that some of the fight choreography at the end was vaguely interesting. I, I think I tuned out by that point. Yeah, I mean, we, put it this way, it was bad to the point that about 15 minutes in, I leaned over to James and said, listen, our friend is playing Banquo. His scene always, the, the banquet scene, his big scene, like almost always comes before the interval. So we'll see that. It'll be the interval and then we can leave. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. The first Macbeth <laughs> that you're aware of where the Banquo scene is after the interval. Yep. And we were stuck in for that full four and a half hour ride. Yep. Yep. But we'll get there. We we will get to those scenes where yes. the long, long, long speeches happened. That's what what that's how you get the everyday punter into the theatre. Long speeches. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so the witches meet Macbeth in Banquo and they say they, they hail Macbeth as Thane of Gloms and Thane of Cawdor and he who shall be king hereafter. So they give him kind of three prophecies for the price of one here. It's so a discount that it they're is, doing. It is a they discount. Manager special. Yeah. Yeah. Macbeth and Banquo walk up and they say, hey. Got a one-time deal for you. 
You guys want a prophecy? I got three for one. It was the end of the you season. You can refuse. They're you trying to get rid of last season's prophecies. Right, You yeah. know, clearing out the stock. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to make room for those new prophecies coming in. That's right. So Macbeth hears these prophecies and he's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I know about the whole Gloms thing because that guy died and I was his successor. So of course I am Thane of Gloms. That makes sense. Um, but the Thane of Cawdor lives. And also what? Why on earth would I be king? That makes no sense. Banquo feels a little bit left out. Um, he feels like he should also get a prophecy. And so he asks for one. And the witches say to him, um, you will be lesser than Macbeth and greater, not as happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, as in beget father kings, though thou be none. Right. So Banquo himself will not be a king, but his children will be, or his his descendants will be, is, is the implication. And then the witches say some more spooky stuff and they disappear. As they are known to do. As they are known to do. Yep. Do they have broomsticks in this? Uh, no, not specifically. Could they have broomsticks? I suppose they could. Yes. Mm. Yes. They do some good cauldron work later. Are there any cats flying around? Uh, they mention some cats. Yeah, mm. yeah. Grey Malkin is a, a cat who gets sort of called out by name. Mm. Want to walk on roll in a sweepstakes. That's good. That sort of thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. There could be cats around. I mean... London in 1611, 1612, when this was probably per first performed, there may have been just random cats roaming around. Just walked into the theatre and like, yeah. yeah, we'll include that. Part of the witch act. Yeah. Grey yep. Malkin. That yep. one right there. There it is. But that's a tabby. Shh. Right. So they disappear, leaving Macbeth and Banquo a little bit confused. Um, they sort of discuss what's happening and they're like, wow, wasn't that weird? Wasn't that a weird thing to happen? And they sort of joke about, you know, Macbeth says, oh, your children shall be kings. And Banquo says, you shall be king. And they, ah, joshy, joshy. <laughs> wasn't this funny? Um, but then Ross arrives and announces that Macbeth actually is Thane of Cawdor. And suddenly they have to take it much more seriously. Mm. So they, it's a little bit, mm, yeah, a little bit uh, spooky, right? Even though the audience already knew that that was going to happen. Because the king told us in the previous scene that Macbeth was going to be Thane of Cawdor. So it's not a surprise to us, but it is a surprise to Macbeth. That's called dramatic irony. Is it now? It is. When the audience knows something that the character does not. You learn something every day. You do. You do. I like to. So, Macbeth um, is starting to question whether this prophecy might actually come to pass. Meanwhile... In, in somewhere in the midst of all this, he sends a messenger off to his wife with a letter. He sends a letter to his lady, conveniently called Lady Macbeth. In case anyone gets confused. Yeah, you know. Gotta have Keep you. it simple. Keep it simple. She's Lady Macbeth and no other name. Um, and she gets this letter explaining what happened with the witches and then and then explaining that you know we thought it was a joke until ross arrived and he said i was thane of cordor and so now i'm thinking that maybe this that maybe there's something to this and she kind of takes it up to 11 she looks at this situation and says he could be king a lot faster if he murdered the existing king he is in the way He's in the way. He's just in the way. He's like, in the way. He's in the way of this prophecy. He's in the way of the prophecy. Some random witches told my husband he'd be king. Yeah, and you believe what witches say. Especially random ones. Yeah, especially ones you've never had any contact with before or you don't know, you know, they've not been verified. You know, they've not been signed off by, you know, check a trader or whatever. <laughs> they don't or, have a trip advisor review. They don't have, they're not on, they're not on, uh, what is it called? Trusted reviews? Oh yeah, trust pilot. Trust pilot. They're not on trust pilot. <laughs> Those are the witches you especially, especially can count on. So, and and Lady Macbeth says in this little soliloquy that she has where she's reading the letter, she fears that Macbeth will be too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. So she's afraid that she's going to say we should kill the king because then you would be king. And instead, he's going to go, no, nah, we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should just wait for him to die naturally and see what happens. He's too full of the milk of human kindness. That's right. I mean, it sounds a bit weird as an expression. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> the milk of human kindness. Yes. Does he, does he get that delivered? 
he's got a, an uh, Amazon subscription. He's got an Amazon subscribe and save yeah. on human kindness milk. He's been drinking too much human he's been, kindness He's milk. been thinking, you know what? I'm not kind enough. I need to supplement mm. on my human kindness. Yeah. He's like on a, like on a weird, like keto diet. Yeah. Specifically drinking milk of human kindness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Lady Macbeth um, herself has not been drinking the Kool-Aid milk of human kindness and feels like murder is, is the best course of action here. Now, another messenger arrives just as she has had this thought and tells her that the king is coming to stay with them at their castle. How convenient. Indeed. That is what she also thinks. Okay, so King Duncan is coming um, and she has this great speech that gets quoted a lot. Um about how the raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. She's kind of making the plan to murder him conveniently while he's staying at their castle right now, like tonight. She's... She's on it. She's on it. She's on the ball. This is we'll a woman who... She gets shit done. She does. You know... Yeah, you can't, you can't fault her for that. Say what you will about Lady Macbeth. She gets the shit done. Yeah. Yeah. And she has this whole speech about how she uh, needs the, the spirits to come and unsex her. And um, yeah, it's... What does that mean? <laughs> I think it means that... She wants a bit of randy time with the spirits. No, unsex. 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 Okay. The reverse, the opposite of randy time. <laughs> no, sex is in, um, as in like male and female. Okay. So she is is kind of buying into this uh sense of of sort of gender roles that if you're a woman you, you can't, can't murder anyone exactly um you can't be evil enough to murder anybody and she wants to make sure that no compunctious visitings of nature shake her fell purpose so she needs to be unsexed she needs her uh the milk in her breasts to turn into gall the milk of human kindness there, there it is that's clearly where he's getting it from it's got weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, or not, because she's she's not exactly kind. That's true. She's the opposite. She is the opposite of kind. She needs some of that milk of human kindness. She should be drinking it. She should be. She should be su- subscribing and saving. She should be supplementing. <laughs> um, so she says to the spirits, "Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall." And she, you know, she wants to make sure that she's going to be ready to do this murder in. I guess you would, if you were going to murder someone, you'd probably need to get in the right headspace to do yeah, it. Yeah, you need to be psyched up for it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't just, you know, you can't just casually murder people on any random Tuesday. You well, I guess some people can, but like normal people can't. I mean, normal yeah. people can't murder full stop, but... I, I don't know that I'd say Macbeth, Lady Macbeth is quite normal people. No, she's not. She's she's not. She's got a screw loose, that's for sure. One or two, yeah. yeah. So she's, she's all in her murdery, murderous unsexed headspace and um, Macbeth arrives and she says to him you know I think we should do this uh, and he kind of doesn't commit he's kind of he's kind of non-committal about it typical man <laughs> typical man can't commit to the murder in yeah yeah first he won't commit to to putting that ring on a finger and now he's not even commit to this murder plot what's wrong with him it's it's sickening really so the king arrives they wine and dine him and in the middle of the dinner Um, Macbeth sort of sneaks away and has a private moment to himself where he's trying to kind of psych himself up to the murder. So he's sort of trying to do what Lady Macbeth did in a couple scenes ago, um, but he's not being as successful about it. Probably because he's not directly appealing to spirits to make him feel more like a man. No, but he seems to have taken on board the idea. He's not gone, you know what, Lady M, this is ridiculous. You want me to just kill this guy? who is coming to stay with us, who will probably be quite obvious to people later on in this play that I killed him. You want me to just go and do this? Yeah. I, I mean, I think he is he is very much on the fence about it, right? He, he's This speech is all about how, um, you know, as a good host, he should be stopping the murderer, not not bearing the knife himself. I mean, that's what I look for in a, in a good host. Yes. You know, when I'm on TripAdvisor... <laughs> Host not culpable in murder plots. Yeah. It's generally something I, I, I need to be reassured right? I, about. I want to make sure that Airbnb has checked their driver's license, their phone number, and their murder record. Yeah. Yeah. Not a murderer is a is a good good value. Yeah. Good, don't good don't thing stay with Lady M. Nope. Yeah. Macbeth's Castle, TripAdvisor, one star, got one murdered. Star. 
I guess so. If you got murdered, you wouldn't be able to leave that one star. So maybe they, maybe that's what they're relying on. You know, they'll kill you before you can leave one star. Mm, yeah, that's how they don't have any bad reviews. That's how they keep those reviews sky high. Yeah, yeah. Bots and murdering. Bots and murdering. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The new trip advisor strategy. There you go. So he's he's very much on the fence about this. He's not really fully committed to the murder. He's feeling a little bit of cold feet. And Lady Macbeth finds him and she's like, look, he and he says to her, we will proceed no further in this business. We're not doing the murder. We need to keep our TripAdvisor score high. I don't want to be king that bad. We're not murdering Duncan. And Lady Macbeth kind of um, goes off on one and really like she she's a real mouthpiece for toxic masculinity here i think is is my well, she's just been scene. unsexed so she has been unsexed you know the spirits have just filled her with the the gall. toxicity of toxic masculinity that's right um so she's she really really goes after him um and says things like when you durst to do it then you were a man right Ooh. um and real be, men kill kings yeah yeah real men get to murder in yeah yeah, so you see, this is, I mean, it's really textbook toxic masculinity. And manipulation. And manipulation. She's very manipulative. Um, she's not a nice lady. I'm beginning to get that sense, Nora. <laughs> In case you hadn't noticed so far, she's not exactly a role model, right? Unless um, you want to be a conniving murder plotter. Right. So, Which, I don't know, some people might want to do that with their lives. You might. I mean, that's if that's your goal, I mean, chase your dreams, right? You can be anything you want to be. <laughs> I want to be just like Lady M. All right. I mean, if one of my <laughs> students wrote that in an essay, I'd, I'd be a little bit concerned. If, if you had a, an essay and a student was like, you know, Lady Macbeth is my favourite character. She's my top fave. Number one feminist hero. Yeah, I, I don't know that we can quite... <laughs> <laughs> referred to Lady Macbeth as a feminist hero. I think well, she's we, getting shit done. She's getting shit done, but she's doing it via murder um, and gaslighting and, and toxic masculinity, which is rude and not very feminist. I, I also think it's important to like distinguish between a woman being in something and that thing being feminist. It had women in it. <laughs> Super feminist. Yeah. Lady Macbeth has lots of speeches. It must be feminist. No. 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 Not really. But she talks him into it in the end. She sort of manipulates her way to getting Macbeth back around to the idea. Um, and he kind of plays right into that toxic masculinity playbook by saying to her, bring forth men children only for thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. Yeah, so. men only zone. Yep, Let's get those bros in. Get bro down. Murdering is, bro down. It's bro only. Bronely. Bronely, dude. Now we're back to the magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think both of them could use some of those magic mushrooms from the forest. They should. They, they should would chill them the fuck out, and yeah. they'd be like, you know what? I'll be king at some point. Eventually, Let's just the witches said it would happen. Yeah, this is so for exactly that reason of like the would it eventually happen if he didn't murder duncan there's this kind of theme of fate and free will in the play is our future written or, or do we got to go about murdering people to make shit happen exactly exactly do you know were the murders inevitable so if i want that promotion at work i need to get killing mm -hmm. yeah watch out alexis james is coming for you <laughs> There's no one at your office called Alexis, is there? Not remotely. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't want to actually threaten somebody on our podcast. That'd be very uh, admissible evidence. Yeah, evidence, yeah I'm that, sure. that would be bad. <laughs> right. Okay, so Macbeth and Lady Macbeth agree via the the media of manipulation and toxic masculinity and gaslighting that they're definitely going to do the murder. Whew. Fun times. Then we meet Banquo's son, Flance. Flance? Flance. What was it? Flance. 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 Like, as rhymes with seance? Yes. Spelt mm. like seance, but with a fl at the start. Is that a coincidence that Banquo's going to be a ghost later as well? Ooh, maybe, I don't know. They could have a flance to <laughs> contact him. 
<laughs> so the, the banquet is an accidental flayon. It's an accidental flayon. That's how the ghost shows up. Yeah, yeah. a, a flayon is actually a he failed seance. That's what it. That's what it means. <laughs> a flayon. Macbeth does um, does invoke Banquo's name at the banquet when he knows he's already dead. So maybe he he did have an accidental seance. A flayon. Yeah. A flayon. Yeah. 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 Go figure. So, yeah. And, and then uh, Macbeth has one of his more famous speeches. Um, the Is this a dagger which I see before me? I remember that from school. Yes. Did you? What did you learn about it in school? Do you remember? No. He wasn't sure if it was a dagger. Did, he, did you learn that the dagger is a representation of his masculinity? No. I think it was a representation of a dagger. <laughs> so that you can... You can kind of um, read some Freud into this scene and... It's his penis. Yes. <laughs> but not like literally his penis. It's it's a phallus, which is the kind of psychic representation of the penis. A, dagger, a dagger's known to be phallic. Yes. Think of the shape of a dagger, James. I mean, they're quite pointy. <laughs> I'd be a bit worried if my penis was the shape of a dagger, to be fair. But, but take the point out of it. Va- point vaguely... Out. Yeah. you know <laughs> no i didn't I, I wasn't aware that it was supposed to be his dick it's, um i mean it's not literally his dick it's a kind of it, it's his his masculinity right his the, masculinity the representation. Repre- represented by a dick yes a phallus which is never a literal dick it's a it's a sort of psychic dick <laughs> <laughs> a psychic dick you get a lot of those <laughs> you do you do <laughs> Usually at flay answers. Hey. I'm now picturing like a like an anthropomorphic penis reading tarot cards. That's that's probably scarier than anything in this play, if I'm honest. <laughs> scarier than those witches. It's too much. I know I want to unsee it. I don't want it anymore. I'm now picturing that that's what flayance looks like as well. No, flayance is a child. <laughs> How dare you ruin flayance? You've corrupted flayance. Innocent flayance. He's a child. Is he a child? He is a child. Oh, he's a child. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's Banquo's son. Yes. Right. And Banquo isn't that old, is he? I don't think he's old enough to have like an adult son. Okay. Or he might be, but this one's young. Okay. Right. Sorry, flayance. <laughs> With apologies to Flayons. <laughs> so yeah, is this a dagger which I see before me? So we can he's still kind of on the fence, right? Without Lady Macbeth there to be like, we're doing this. Are you a real man? Man up, Macbeth. Yeah. He kind of wavers. He wavers. He wavers. He's not a hundred percent convinced. So then they do the murdering. He just yeah, he's he's has a waver and then he's like, you know what? I gotta man the fuck up. Yeah. Bit of a wobble. But then he he goes ahead and does it. Uh, is there any line that that is used for him making that decisive maneuver? Um, or he's just like, you know what, fuck this, fuck it. He well, so, <laughs> he has a long deliberation, a long, you know, is this a dagger I see before me? Speech, and then at the end of the speech, it's just like, eh, fuck it. Kind of, actually, <laughs> yeah. He he's sort of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and he's. He's, you know, on the fence. Um, but earlier in the scene, he has said to a servant, tell my lady that when my drink is ready, a.k.a. when we're ready to do the murdering, that she strike upon the bell. So a bell tolls. Um, and then he says, I go and it is done. The bell invites me. So it, it seems like the bell sort of makes that decision for him. The bell makes a decision for him. Yeah. I mean, if you're an actor, you probably like have moments in this speech where you're more on one side more on the other um i've seen it performed where he's he seems to have kind of completely come around to the decision before the bell rings there's a lot of flexibility in it because it's mm. a sort of wishy-washy speech but okay. definitely like the, the bell tolls and he says i go and it is done and he's definitely drinking as well so they did technically <laughs> get that right in that terrible he's play. definitely drinking well they said about his drink it's not really his drink it's the drink that's the it's the poisoned the, the sort of spiked drinks that they're going to give to Duncan's guards to make them oh uh, yes so that they won't notice the murdering that they'll be conveniently knocked out for yes so they can't I mean if I was a guard and I woke up and I was like I don't know what happened someone I just was completely knocked out last night and now the king's been killed 
I'd be pretty suspicious. Yeah, except that Macbeth and Lady Macbeth blame everything on them. On the guards. On the guards. They smear them with blood. I feel bad they for these guards. They put the daggers They're in only their doing hands. their job. I know, right? These, these poor, poor guards. guards. Poor guards. Poor finance. Flayance. Flayance. Whatever they call <laughs> Finance. Whatever he's called. <laughs> That's his new name. We're calling him Finance. <laughs> finance. <laughs> finance. Son, son of Banquet. Yes. He's got a real life for uh, money. Yeah. He's very, he's very frugal. He's very, uh, very good at investing. Mm, he's really um, h- h- latching on to the nascent capitalism of, of this time period. Yeah. Yeah. Good old finance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next scene is like, I. what I love about this scene is that you know, as much as Lady Macbeth is not a role model, not someone I want to emulate, some of these lines in this scene just really um, speak very clearly to me of a woman who's used to having to do everything herself. Um, she, you know, she says... Uh, apart from the murdering. Apart from the murdering. She leaves She leaves Macbeth to do the murdering, but she's like, I laid the daggers ready. He could not miss them. Like, I, I got the daggers ready. I drugged the guards. I laid it all out for him. I left instructions... If he can't even do this little murder, this relationship is over. Mm. We're going to have to reconsider this situation. It's a bit mean. She's mean. I'm learning. I'm learning this. <laughs> She's rude. She's really She's rude. She's very rude. She's really rude. And and she says, had he, Duncan, not resembled my father as he slept, I would have done it. So we see a, a hint, a hint of the milk of human kindness. Oh, what, just because he, he looks like her father? He looks a bit like her dad, so she didn't want to murder him. I mean, that's a poor excuse. <laughs> you shouldn't murder anyone. You shouldn't. You know, not yeah. just... Oh, I would, I would have murdered him, but he looked a bit like my dad. Yeah, so I'm going to let my husband handle so, it. Yeah, you do it. You do it. Here's Mackers. the knives. Mackie D. Mackie B. Go to town, MD. Yeah. MD. MD. I don't know what the, I don't know what the D is. MD. It could be a doctor. <laughs> Finance MD. <laughs> Finance MD. We've got the modern careers version of Macbeth. It is. There yeah. is there's actually a, a movie version of Macbeth um starring Christopher Walken called Scotland PA that's set in a diner. Wow. Yep. Is it as wonderful as it sounds? It is. It's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> it's, is it supposed to be? I think so. Okay. I don't think it's a hundred percent serious. Okay, that's fair enough then. So yes, the so Macbeth does the murdering. He comes back. His hands are all covered in blood. He has the daggers with him, and she's like, "What the fuck, man? You were supposed to leave the daggers. How can we blame it on the guards if they don't have the daggers?" And then she's like, "Never mind. I will do it myself." And she takes the daggers away from him. She goes back to put the daggers on the dead guys, and then they've both got blood on their hands, and they have to wash their hands. And he can't um, get clean. They can't get clean, and Macbeth is freaking out. He is not having a good time. He really is like really not really like having a panic attack mm. in the middle of this scene. Murdering's not as fun as he thought it would be. Murdering's not. He, I mean, I don't think he really wanted to do it in the first place, right? He's been manipulated by his evil wife. We'll come back to that when we talk about the misogynometer score. Mm, the only woman in the play. Yeah. So he's saying, you know, <laughs> not that there's one other one. There's one other one. She pretty much. Is she just, involved with a thane? She is uh, the wife of the Thane Macduff. Oh, yeah, Macduff. Go Macduff. Lady Macduff, who has one scene and gets murdered. Good play for women. Yeah. Really good. Evil and dead. Yeah. Those are those are the options. Those are the options. Yes. So Macbeth is freaking out about how he couldn't say God bless us when one of the soldiers said it. And he... He couldn't say amen. He, he's like, why Why couldn't I pronounce amen? I had most need of blessing and amen stuck in my throat. And Lady Macbeth is like, oh my God, you need to calm down because we have to still deal with, you know, everyone finding out that he's dead. And if you're being like this, this is not going to go well for us. She's trying to hold it down, trying to hold it together. Um, but Macbeth's hearing voices and saying he's not going to sleep anymore. Um, and he's going on and on and on. At one point she interrupts him and is like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? Stop this he's he's really um really going off on one uh and she says look we need we need to take the daggers back she's trying to hold it together um and somebody is knocking at the gate right there's somebody there 
trying to get into the castle, um, knocking, 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 knocking. So they're like, shit, we need to wash up. We need to, um, you know, she says, get on your nightgown, lest occasion call us and show us to be watchers, be not lost so poorly in your thoughts. So she's really trying to kind of get it together, hold him together, make sure that they get through this as a couple. It's a lovely bit of bonding, really. It is. Yeah. It's nice to see them having a bit of husband-wife time. Mm. It's a play that is ultimately about marital relations. Yes. And about how murder can spice things up in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, some people have a threesome. The Macbeths murder somebody. Yeah. It's the same. It doesn't necessarily work <laughs> or or really provide them with any kind of anything good from it but they take a risk they do and can you blame them for that no they you know points for creativity a for effort yes they really really tried hard and they did they did ultimately murder the king so they achieved their goal they did Macbeth does become king he does so you know that's a win yeah even though everything goes to hell afterwards I think they really you know what I take from the story is that you know they started off well and they didn't follow through they should have done more murdering they should have done more murdering you know and I well I think actually what they should have done because Macbeth goes on to do an awful lot of additional murdering in the play but he doesn't take Lady Macbeth with him he cuts her out of the murdering which and she's integral she is I mean, she's be. the reason they're murdering in the first place. Yeah. No wonder she's forgetting it. his roots. He is. He is. You know, he's gone off for his solo career of murdering, and he should have been thinking, you know what? I need to get the band back together. Yeah. Go back. Go back to that first album where we had all that magic. <laughs> that's what he needs to do, and that's, that's what, what he, he did wrong. That's where he went wrong. That's where he went wrong. He should have should have brought his lady along on the world tour of murdering. The murder tour of Scotland. The murder tour is Macbeth's murder tour of yeah. Scotland. From Thane to Thane. There we go. That's the band, the band t-shirt. <laughs> okay, so we have all this murdering. There's somebody knocking at the gate and we get a bit of light relief. We have the porter. The porter? The porter. And he's got a little bit of a comic monologue. Oh, good. Yes. This usually goes to the person in the cast who is the most annoying. So they're supposed to be an annoying porter. They're, yeah, he's he is annoying. Um, he's drunk um, and he's pretending that he, instead of actually opening the door and, and letting the person knocking incessantly in, he is having a bit of a fantasy about what it would be like to be the porter of hell. So he's... That went a bit weird, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's drunk. It's a spooky play. Yeah. Yeah. If whatever, a, whatever you want to do with your life, porter. Yep. If no a, judgment here. If a man were porter of Hellgate, he should have old turning the key. So many souls come into hell, he he would never have a day off because there's just so many people coming in. And he, you know, he greets these sort of stereotypes of of people entering hell, and it's supposed to be very funny. I have almost never seen it actually be funny. No, I can't think it's it doesn't sound that funny to me. It's I mean, I think it has the potential to be funny, but I've I've never actually seen it work in performance. Maybe some of our listeners have and they can correct me on that. Yeah, um, let us know. <laughs> let Nora know. She loves this kind of thing. I do. So he finally, finally opens the door and it's Macduff and Lennox there. This is our first introduction to Macduff. Um this is his kind of big entrance scene. And the porter keeps going on and on and talking too much. And Macduff is like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're here to talk to Macbeth. We need to, we need, we need to really need to talk to him. Could you just stop, Mr. Porter, please? And there's been a big storm overnight. So there's a very funny joke. That same storm. The same storm. Yes, yes. As you like it. Twelfth night. There's no storm in As You Like It. You're thinking of Twelfth Night. I'm, same place. Same play. Um, yes, so the, the same storm from The Tempest and Twelfth Night and King Lear and all the other plays that there are storms in. Yeah. Yeah, the storm that sinks Antonio's ship in The Merchant of Venice. Same storm. There's been a storm overnight and there's um, probably my favorite joke in the play. It's I think it's quite funny. It's a bit of actual comic relief that, sorry, I'm sorry, is funnier than The Porter. And Lennox says, uh, has this little speech about 
how horrible the storm was and and how terrible um, the uh, the screams of death in the air were, and you know how how much the birds were cawing all night long and how horrible it was. Cawdoring, yay! That's better than the, <laughs> the other one you tried. <laughs> Yeah, they were cawdoring all night. Um, some say the earth was feverish and did shake. And Macbeth just replies, and I think this is best when it's totally deadpan, "'Twas a rough night." It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Right. Bit of uh, British wit. A. It's a bit dry. It's dry. It's very it? dry. Very droll. "'Twas a rough night," and I think it it almost always gets a laugh in the theater because we, of course, as audience, all know just how rough Macbeth's night was. And it had nothing to do it with was, the weather. It was pretty rough. It was a bit rough. Yeah, murdering. It's dirty work. It, yeah, literally got his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Ay. That was terrible. That was. That was a porter level joke. Yeah. Um, but what that speech about the, the weather is actually doing is making time on stage for Macduff to go and find the king and discover that he is murdered. So Macduff comes back on. Oh, horror, 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 horror. Wake everybody up. The king is dead. What's happened? The king's been murdered. Oh, no. Everything's awful. Lady Macbeth does a very dramatic entrance where she says, Oh, what's the matter? Why are you waking us all up in the middle of the night like this? And the king has been murdered. And the the blame quite quickly falls to Donalbane and Malcolm, who are his sons, and to the two guards who've been discovered to have the knives on them. So Malcolm and Donalbane escape. Malcolm goes to England, and we'll check back in with him later. Donalbane goes to Ireland, and we never hear from him again. Who knows what happened to him in Ireland? The sequel that no one asked for. The sequel that no one asked for. Um, then we get kind of a random scene between Ross and an old man, which is basically a recap. It's like a last time on Macbeth. Previously on Macbeth. <laughs> yes. And then we get into uh, the really juicy stuff, right? Remember... We've talked before about how Act 3 is where things really get going. Act 3 and Macbeth is also where things really get going. I'm sensing a pattern here. Sensing a pattern, yes. Um, hey, you try writing 37 plays in a lifetime. That's you're going to take some enough. shortcuts. Yeah, you're going to be, yeah. you've probably got his little template. He does. It's like, you know, you open Audacity and you've got your template. I, I don't actually, but <laughs> I will when I'm editing this. Yeah. Shakespeare sits down at his desk with his, his quill and paper. He's got his template. Yeah. You know, it works. It works. It works for him. It worked for him. Clearly. So at the top of Act 3, we learn that um, Banquo is a little bit suspicious about how Duncan died. Mm. He gets a little soliloquy. Couldn't be anything to do with that, that you know, three-for-one prophecy. Right? Right? So he's a little... Mm, a little sus. He's got his eye on Macbeth. Mm. And Macbeth realizes that Banquo has his eye on him. And Banquo lets him know that uh, even though there's a feast tonight to which he's been invited, he's going to go on a little bit of a ride with his son. Philance. Fiance. Whatever. Finance. <laughs> whatever the fuck he's called. Flance. 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 <laughs> like a like dessert. plural. Of many flans. <laughs> many flanned one. He's just a sort of wiggly pudding. Yeah. <laughs> he's excellent at investing. And talks to ghosts. And and badly. Remember, he's a oh, failed, right. he's failed, a failed seance. seance. <laughs> Banco and Flance yeah. are going to go for a ride yeah. on their horses before the banquet. This it, it turns out that this is a mistake to communicate this to Macbeth. It's not really a good move, is it? Tell you know, the you're suspicious where you're of going. someone. You know that, oh, this guy had a prophecy that he was going to be the king and I guess logistically for him to become the king, the other king needs to be killed. So the fact that the other king has just been killed, in I wonder house. if there's a connection there, uh, especially as it's in his house. And you know what? I'd better just tell him where I'm going, where I'm going. I don't think there's any harm in that. Yeah. If he's capable of murdering one person, He's not going to do it again. He's learned his lesson. This can't possibly backfire no. on me. And anyway, Flans will protect me. Flans. <laughs> his child. His child. The child Flans. The, the, the child Flan. Flans. Yeah, Flans or whatever. <laughs> Flans. <laughs> I don't 
called? Fiance. Fleance. 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 Like seance with Fleance. a plus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this so hard? You've been drinking. I've only had like a single of whiskey. Uh, right. So yeah. So just, just he, to understand that internal struggle. Yes. Yes. You really want to commune with Macbeth. I do want to commune with Macbeth. I want to understand his pain. His pain. The pain of Coral. <laughs> I'll say that again. The pain of Cordor. That's actually not a half bad pun. <laughs> right. Um, so Mac, uh, Banquo conveniently tells the person he suspects of being a murderer where he is going before dinner. And Macbeth send, meets with some murderers and says, you know, I really need you to kill Banquo, but I need you not just to kill Banquo. I need you to make sure that Fleance dies, too. Because the problem is the prophecy predicted that Macbeth would be king, but that Banquo's children would be kings. And Banquo has a child called... Fleance. That's right. <laughs> Eighth time or whatever. <laughs> Eighth time's a charm. The funny thing is, is I got it right, uh, uh, you know, at one point earlier, you and did. then I went back to getting it wrong again. You did. <laughs> I, I, you know, we should keep score on my little whiteboard. The Fleance tabula the fleance tabula yeah 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 so he he makes sure that it's really really clear to the murderers that fleance also needs to be killed because if just banquo dies that doesn't help him very much well, yeah because in fleance it's going to be like i swear that my father had an inkling that Macbeth could be the killer and now he's died hmm, hmm. bit of a head scratcher yep Really, really unclear who could possibly have really done this horrible thing. Really unclear who the link is here. Yeah. So the, the murderers promise that they will do this. Who are these murderers? They're just, just you know, first murderer, second murderer. They're just moping around the place. Third murderer. Why didn't they get them in the first place? And then Macbeth would have had to stare at a dagger for half an hour. <laughs> That's a good point. Where were these murderers in Act 2? Where were the murderers when you need them? They were slacking off is yeah. what they were. Can't, you know, so hard to get good murderers these days. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Lady Macbeth is then like, hey, um, are we doing more murdering together? What's up, man? You're not talking to me lately the way that you used to talk to me. Yeah. We need to capture, recapture that old magic. Remember the time when we plotted to kill? The king. The king. Together. Together. Oh, I should also say Macbeth is king by this point. So he's been, he's been installed as king. He is the king. That's the other point of that scene with the old man is like, last time on Macbeth. Also, he's the king now. It's like a, just a, we don't need to go through the coronation yeah. process. For whatever reason, Shakespeare decided we don't need a big spectacular coronation scene. We're just going to move swiftly on from that. If, if you're going for the whole psychological aspect of the play, I would have thought that that would be quite a good scene because he could be like have the imposter syndrome of mm -hmm. I only got here by murdering and because a witch told me. Yeah. Rather than I, you know, earned this, you know, through mm. some sort of meritocracy. I have a feeling that there's at least one film version that does give him a coronation scene. I can't remember which one it would be, but I'm sure somebody listening knows the answer to that. I, th I think there is at least one where we get to see his coronation mm. with some, you know, dramatic background music. Very good. Yeah, very good. Can't can't be crowned without dramatic background music. I mean, that's how they do it in real life. Sadok the Priest. Yeah. The most dramatic song of all time. It is pretty dramatic. It is. That and like Lacrimosa are the just the go-to drama songs. Yeah. Yeah. So Lady Macbeth is concerned that their relationship is suffering and that, you know, Funny she's... That. Funny, funny, funny how murder can come between a man and a wife. <laughs> funny how murder can just, you know. You don't think that, do you? You think no, there's a little bit of murder in and you don't realise, oh, actually, you know what? Our relationship went downhill after that murder, mm. which sound like, sounded like such a great plan at the time. Yeah, we were so confident about it. Yeah. Yeah, we really thought that this murder would bring us together. We'd be king and queen. And yet. And yet, it did not go for that way. That way for them. So Macbeth does does not share with Lady Macbeth what he's planning to do to Banquo and Fleance, even though she asks him to. So she keeps keeps kind of pushing him to say what's on his mind, mm. to um, you know what's going to be done. And he says to her, "Be in you'll love this line. Be innocent of the knowledge, dearest Chuck, till thou applaud the deed." Chuck. Chuck. 
Who's Chuck? She's Chuck. She's called Chuck? No, it's like an endearment. He says, Dear, dearest Chuck. My dearest Chuck. Oh, oh so she, her middle name isn't Charlie. Not that I know of. Lady Charlie Macbeth. I guess she, she could be Lady Charlotte Macbeth. Yeah. She could have could a, a French name as a Scottish lady. Yeah. Yeah. She could. There you go. Chuck, who Chuck. knew? Was that, is that just like a specific endearment it's, for her or was that a general no, it's, it's just a the equivalent general, of babes in in uh you know 1612 it's um it's it's generally yeah a kind of uh diminutive endearment okay. um the, the so exactly like babes exactly like babes yeah yeah pretty much like babe typically used by uh, the kind of more powerful person in the relationship to refer to the less powerful person or by the man towards the woman so ah. i wouldn't call you my dearest chuck but you might call me a dearest chuck okay. if later is chuck hmm? <laughs> what kind of chuck <laughs> later is chuck is what i said laters yeah like laters babes <laughs> Is that what you're going to say when you leave for work now? The next time we are allowed to leave the flat? Yeah. Later is babes. Later is Chuck. In the thickest Bristolian accent yeah. I can it's, I can do. Yes. It's like that. So he's he's basically sort of saying, Oh, little woman, stay in your place. Remain, remain Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, person who convinced me to murder people in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> She getting too big for her britches. Apparently, apparently. So he, you know, he sort of brushes her off and says, "Oh, you know, you'll you'll be proud of me when this is done." But I'm not going to tell you. Go about away, it. little woman. Yes. Effectively. Let the men murder. Let the men. You were the one who said that murdering was a man's game. That's right. Now leave me to my murdering. And murder he does, although by proxy this time. So he yeah, he gets those, those he murderers. Gets the three who just, murderers just suddenly appeared out of nowhere. Right. Who knew you could just pay people to do murdering for you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just intrigued where they appeared from. They they just, you know, we have, we don't get a lot of backstory on them. Maybe murderers. when you're the king, they just come, like like if you're a rock star and, and just drug dealers just like appear. Hmm. Maybe if you're the king, just like assassins just appear around It's you. like when you, when you get crowned and then they start, you know, talking you through all the state secrets and they go, and these are our royal murderers. Yeah. You might need these for mm. people who may question your legitimacy cause some trouble yeah so the murderers the three unnamed murderers go out after banquo and flayance yes <laughs> you've got it now i nearly said philance but <laughs> that would have been close <laughs> well, flans. Flans. <laughs> so the murderers go out after flans, bass. Um, after banquo and flans and they do their murder in um but Banquo has the presence of mind as he's dying to tell Flayance to flee. So he... To Flayance to flee. Yes. He tells Flayance... In, in fact, what he actually says is, fly, good Flayance, fly, fly, fly. Lots of fluss. Yes. It's a good old tongue twister. Mm. Fly, fly, fly. And... I, I won't re replicate that line. <laughs> I think you should try. Was it? Fly, 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 Flayance, fly. Fly, good Flayance, fly, fly, fly. Fly, good flayance, fly, fly, fly. <laughs> but now do it like you're dying. Fly, good flayance, fly, fly, fly. That was a little bit like Gandalf. Fly, you fools. <laughs> well, Flandolf. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Flandolf. <laughs> Um, but his actual his actual dying line um, is "Thou mayest revenge." So he sort of plants the plants the seed in our minds that Flandolf will revenge <laughs> <laughs> revenge his murder. Um, okay, um, and Fleance does it does in fact get away. So he he flees. And Fleance. now Fleance, yes, flees. Fleance flees. Like a yes, he flees. Fleance yeah. flees. So, we get to the banquet, and we're, you know, this is... <laughs> the banquet. Are you just going to put fla at the start of everything do... now? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do the rest of the episode. All right. There you go. Okay. That'll be really fun, I'm sure. No. Flan quit was the last one. Flan quit. I'll quit. 
well I'm ahead. Hey. Ironically, given we started this episode talking about a super long four-hour Macbeth, this episode ended up being really long. So we are we decided to split it in half, and we're closing out our first season with a two-part season finale! Woo! Woo! So come back next time for the thrilling conclusion to Macbeth. <laughs> what am I saying? You can't even say it! <laughs> the Flandolf Saga. You've been listening to Not Another Shakespeare Podcast, and this is our pre-recorded outro. If you liked this episode, please review and subscribe. If you hated this episode, maybe share it with a nemesis. You can follow us on social media at Podcast or check out our website, nashakespearepodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see thee next time. And fare thee well.